Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. He fasted 40 days and 40 nights, and afterwards he was famished. The tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he, Jesus answered, it is written, One does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and placed him on the pinnacle of the temple, saying to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command His angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, so that you will not dash your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, Again it is written, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. And again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. And he said to him, all these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. But Jesus said to him, away with you, Satan. For it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve only Him. Then the devil left him, and suddenly angels came and waited on him. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable and pleasing in Your sight, O Lord, our Rock, our Redeemer. Amen. Today is the beginning of the season of Lent, as in the first Sunday of Lent. Ash Wednesday was this past Wednesday. We thank all of those who braved the storms to come out. Those who did not feel safe, we certainly understand. This isn't the most joyous time on the Christian calendar. It begins with an affirmation of our mortality and God's greatness and the ways in which we are broken and a glorifying of God who sent His Son to redeem and repair and salvage a broken humanity. But none of us like to dwell upon our brokenness. So today let us dwell on Jesus. And the point that is made in this section on the temptation of Christ, which was summarized in Hebrews 4.15, this high priest of ours understands our weaknesses, for he faced all of the same testings we do, yet he did not sin. Now we know this moment of trial significantly affected Jesus. How do we know this? Well, we know that he was the only one who could have shared the story unless the angels or the tempter is spreading it to the disciples. This was something Jesus must have related to them. But also, has it ever struck you that Jesus was led into the wilderness by the Spirit? 
to be tempted of the devil. Now, I'm thinking this is very significant because think of the prayer that we pray this and every Sunday. Our Father who art in heaven is how it begins. Lead us not into temptation. Give us this day our daily bread. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. No one else's. There are echoes of the temptation present within the Lord's Prayer if you look for them. And also throughout Jesus' ministry. Now, if you step back for a moment, maybe something else you've wondered. Why were these three things, these great temptations, weren't they things that Jesus by His authority or God's authority could have done anyway? I mean, the stone turned into bread. Later, Jesus would turn water into wine. Later, He would take the fish and the loaves and multiply them and feed thousands. This physical safety, cast yourself down from the temple. Well, Jesus would be lifted up to a high place, buried in the earth, and then raised to new life. And of course, after the resurrection, I believe he said, all authority on heaven and on earth has been given unto me. So these are things that we can see being echoed in a different way throughout his ministry. So why were these such a big deal? Maybe it was the way in which he was being tempted to accomplish them. Malcolm Muggeridge, I don't know if you know this gentleman, he is a wonderful English writer. C.S. Lewis took some inspiration from him. His works are well worth reading. Jesus Rediscovered being one of them. He made an excellent point about the temptation. That Jesus had the ability here to become, with the first temptation, the stones to bread, He could become the people's Messiah. Remember after the feeding of the 5,000, how they were following Him around. Why? Because they wanted the bread. He would have stood on the pinnacle of the temple and floated down was the implication. The Pharisees would have loved to have their Messiah of the Torah, who would stand and have authority over the temple and fulfill its laws and the traditions of the elders exactly the way they would have wished. And all of Israel was waiting for that kingly Messiah who would take the reins not just of Israel, but of all of the governments of the world and set about God's rule. They certainly did not want a suffering Messiah. They certainly did not want the cross. They wanted the hero. See, Satan was tempting him with these quick, non-suffering ways to achieve the aims of the incarnation, the crown without the cross, to be human without all of the bad parts. I mean, look at these beautiful roses over here today. I'm tempted to go and pick one up, but... I have a question before I do that. What would that question be before I reach in and pull the rose out 
Are there thorns on it? Some of you are thinking, are you going to mess the arrangement up? But, you got it right, Tamar. Are there thorns on it? We're doing our best. We're breeding roses without thorns, or when we get them, what do we do? Snip, snip, snip. We want our beauty without the chance of injury. Wasn't that what the tempter was offering Jesus? Isn't that often temptation's way? Offering us a shortcut to security or to pleasure, things that in themselves are good, but when you grasp them in the wrong way, they can become hurtful and destructive. All of us, all of us, during a day like this and a topic such as this, have those things that we look upon ourselves, maybe they are current temptations that we are now struggling with. Maybe they are old addictions that we thought were behind us. Maybe they are just the way in which we see ourselves being easily manipulated by people, by the, by the advertisers, by those who tell us, no, your good life should be this. Maybe it's when we see others and realize that in this social setting, in this social setting, we really are on the bottom of the ranking, aren't we? Any of you ever been on the very bottom of the ranking? in a location, whether in power or status or beauty or wealth, and you look around you and wonder how many see it. Looking over your own history, though, honestly, be honest. Aren't there times that we wish that instead of God being this gentle, loving father. Don't we wish we had Jesus the superhero at times? Think back in your past. Wouldn't there have been times you would have wished that he would have come and changed it all, taken the choice out of your hands, taken the authority out of others' hands, and just did the thing that you so wished and showed his... Wouldn't you love to have that Jesus who would appear in front of your skeptical friends? Wouldn't you have a Jesus... Wouldn't you love Jesus to seize and take control of a broken and hurting world? Don't you sometimes ask, God, why are you sitting on your hands? Aren't we sometimes, like we mentioned last week, Elijah in the desert, in hiding, God saying, come and look outside this cave. And there is a mighty wind, there is a great earthquake, and there is a roar of fire. But God was not in the earthquake, the fire, or the wind. But it was implied He was in that still, small voice at the end of it all. See, here's the thing. Um, there is a way that the world works. And the brothers Karamazov, Fyodor Dostoevsky, two brothers, and the one tells 
this parable, this poem to the other, that Jesus has come because the church has become coercive in its power and in its abilities. And a bishop recognizes Christ there and takes him, locks him in a cell and comes to speak to him in a way that echoes the temptation. And this bishop, this grand inquisitor, says this, yet what was offered thee? There are three powers, three powers alone, able to conquer and hold captive forever the conscience of these impotent rebels, humans, for their own happiness. Those forces are miracle, mystery, and authority. Thou hast rejected all three and hast set the example for doing so. How many times I've said, God, just write your name across the sky. Just put, I exist, I love you, so there. But the answer that seems to keep coming back is then, well then, how could people say they have chosen to love me? The power this world shows forth. The power that Jesus said we need to turn on its head. The power that Satan was offering Christ is this external coercive power. God's, in the, on the other hand, seems to be His choice, this omnipotent, all-powerful Creator chooses to be loving and persuasive instead of forceful and coercive. Philip Yancey in the Jesus side never knew in that wonderful chapter which a lot of this draws from. This quote... Only love can summon the response of love. You see, coercive power would only compel fear. So, Jesus chose. Jesus chose God's kingdom, God's will, God's methods. He turned down these things that one could safely say were within His prerogative to do or to ask. And He said, instead, I will persuade, invite. I will show that love is that thing which will transform people from the inside. My Father's love is that which will heal the breach between God and broken, ragged humanity. He chose the path of self-sacrifice. The hard, but the good path. He chose the beauty of the rose, thorns and all. He chose the path that led to grace. The grace in which we now stand. Thanks be to God for His indescribable gift and the way he chose to give it.